Hey guys, today we are going to dive into some looking at gear, what you guys should be looking at when you're approaching, uh, what you want to purchase and buy for self-defense. And we'll get into a little bit of faith talk at the end. Hopefully you enjoy it. Hey man, how we doing today? Good brother, what's going on? Oh, well, just just uh, enjoying my day off. I had a crazy week last week and uh, we still got a re- episode in, but it was it was pretty insane. Well, that's what you get for having a job. So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we just need to get successful. Then I mean, yeah, we know, here we to... go. We are on the right path. Yeah, think, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll see, see how this goes. Yeah, please so. support us. Yes, yes. <laughs> we don't have to have a job. Yeah, shameless plug. Hit our social medias. Check out our website, righteoussavages.com, and on YouTube and uh, Apple. Like our page on Apple. Give us a five-star review if you like the content because it helps the algorithms. And on YouTube, subscribe to our channel, like, and share our content. Uh, it does help us. So we appreciate it. Today, I think uh, I think we're going to get into some some cool subjects, some fun stuff. We both are gun guys, and we love, uh, we love the shooting sports and all of that stuff that goes along with it, outdoors stuff, knives, everything. Uh, so I think it's going to be really cool to kind of dive into what our thoughts are when it comes to approaching how we select gear, how we purchase gear, and uh, all of that stuff. Um, real quick, I want to ask kind of a question for the audience. If you were all of a sudden diagnosed with a terminal illness and you had to have a surgery, and this surgery is a 50-50 shot of you surviving, would you want a doctor who has a long resume pedigree of success at that specific surgery, who has been a reliable surgeon, has years of experience and proven track record of being a successful surgeon, or would you want the cheapest guy, the guy that maybe is fresh out of medical school, has never done any of this kind of stuff, doesn't have any kind of proof? Yeah, you might actually luck out and get a good surgeon, but do you, are you willing to stake your life on that for your survival, for actually getting through what you're facing. And I think that we can apply that to what we're talking about today because it, it is kind of the same same kind of thing. So, um, yeah, so we can kind of categorize our gear into a couple of different groups. One group is the stuff that your life is going to depend on it. And then the other group are the things that are just kind of the, the Gucci whatever, just kind of fun, something new to test around, and and maybe it's not going to be for self-defense or personal defense. But make no mistake about it, kind of where we should be starting out is in that group of your life is going to depend on it. We see, you know, over my long law enforcement career, obviously I've seen just thousands of different types of gear and gadgets and whatever that people get interested in because they've seen it on Instagram or their buddy told them about it or saw it on YouTube and they go out and buy it. And it's kind of tough for civilians because you don't really, you're not in that world. You're not living in it. You're just seeing it on the internet. Maybe you don't get to the range a whole lot. And it's kind of a lot of trial and error with gear and equipment. So I get that aspect of it for sure. But I don't also want to underestimate how important it is 
that if you're just getting into training and shooting and getting into shooting a handgun, man, well, you have got to start off on the right track. Yeah. We cannot shortcut this. We cannot just go for the the, the most you know exciting thing out there uh, on the interwebs. And you're gonna have to start off with a professional trainer somewhere. Doesn't mean it has to be a cop necessarily. Cops, you know, are not the best of everything just because they're cops. But you got to get a hold of somebody that is a professional in the industry of whatever you're trying to get good at and yep. get some advice, get some direction. You cannot just make this up on your own. I've seen a lot of people come out to the range and they've definitely made it up on their own. They've shot maybe a hundred rounds in their life and they've just showed up to do a lesson with a $4,000 gun and gun belt. And, and they've skipped way ahead of, of like, you know, we should be at step one and you're yep. at step 95. Yep. And so we can't fast forward through that. So, And especially from your point of view of, of coming out to the range three or four years ago and kind of uh, getting started, in the, at least in the instructor world a little bit, um, it's, you know, your perspective is, is interesting, too, to see kind of how you progress through trying to figure out what to get. Like, so, John, how, how did you go through that? How did you figure out what was going to work for you um, and, and what, was, what was exactly, you know, quality stuff? So I, anytime I'm buying something, and this could be anything from like cars to, to guns to knives, I'm always looking at a few things. I'm a big durability, longevity guy, like on, on everything. So my vehicles, I, I tend towards the vehicles that have the long track record of being durable. And so I kind of approached my journey with guns as, as that. And I own some rifles. Uh, I even had an AR 15. I didn't really have that much as far as handguns when I first basically about five, six years ago was when I really started getting into handguns. And I bought, I talked to a buddy of mine who was a, um, Said he was an instructor. I'm not so sure he was an instructor, but I was working with him at the time we talked, and he did turn me on to a really nice um, Sig Sauer uh, P226 and heavy piece of uh, heavy piece of metal gun, but a very solid gun. And so uh, that started my journey. But I started looking at what everyone else was kind of carrying. What I saw, you know, I, I look at military, I look at police, and uh, the police. Most guys are carrying Glocks or they're carrying a Springfield or they're carrying something along, you know, the really Gucci cops. They like those staccatos. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but I was looking at that and what was a, what was something that was going to be reliable because we're talking about something that I'm going to use to defend my life with, as opposed to, uh, something that I'm just going to take out and plink. So I'm always kind of trying to approach it from that perspective. Not everybody has that perspective, but that's kind of the way that I always approach those things. Right. So from, as an instructor, I've always tried to convince people that what we're about to do here is a journey. And you start off slow and easy and work your way up to faster, more complicated, however you want to describe it. So many people just get excited right off the bat, like, oh, man, I saw this one guy on YouTube. He's a great shooter. He's, you know, doing all these competition things. I want – he's so good. Just give me his stuff, and maybe I'll be that good too. And that's the formula for so many people. And you need somebody in your life to grab a hold of you and be like, hold, calm down here for a second. We've got to start way over and start simple. Um, so we start simple, you know, but like you said, reliability is very important. We want the gun to be reliable, robust, 
your training. It needs to be repeatable so it works on all kinds of different platforms, small guns, larger guns, whatever. When it comes to guns and brand names and kind of what we suggest, I'll, I'll start off broad by saying keep it simple at first. Yeah. So, for example, a Glock is pretty simple. I, I describe a Glock as a tool. I would describe like a SIG 320 or a 1911. They're more like machines. <laughs> you know, they're, it's, it's kind of a different. It's not that it's that much difficult to shoot those other guns, but there's just a little more that goes along with that stuff and how they work and how they respond to you as a shooter. So try to stay simple. Don't, say, don't stay so simple that your gun isn't going to work all the time. And so when we start to offer advice on brand names of guns and what, it's, it's simple. It's Glock. It's smaller caliber, calibers. For a lot of people, for brand new shooters, we do start on smaller calibers like 22 long rifle. Why yeah. not? It's easy to shoot. The anxiety level is just almost non-existent. It's like shooting a BB gun. And then yep. people can listen. They can actually listen to what you have to offer as far as instruction and not be so worried about the gun. Just listening and learning the fundamentals of how to shoot. And then you can work your way up to larger calibers, bigger guns, maybe more complex guns that might have safeties or decocking levers or different sight systems or red dots. Things can get complicated pretty quickly. But we need to start off on a platform that's simple and that is repeatable to what you might do in the future. Yeah. And I think that one thing that's, that's really interesting is people almost attribute their, uh, the quality of what they're getting with the price tag of it. And we've seen a lot of guns in our concealed carry classes that are great guns overall, but they're not what you would want to carry with you if you're trying to defend your life. Because, they have a high rate of failure on the range. Um, one one brand name, and I guess we're going to ruin our endorsement deal with Kimber. But um, uh, Kimber's typically are some of the highest and highest failure rates in in a concealed carry class. We have they they just because they're so finely tuned in the machining of the of the gun. Just the smallest amount. It's like a it's like a Ferrari. You know, you can't run a Ferrari up and down the street on regular unleaded gas because it just is gonna it's gonna. Yeah, that's break a good example. Your... It's a finely tuned machine, yep. and if that's usually operator error, yep. whether it's not taken care of or they don't know how to hold <clears> the gun, it can the the shooter can induce those malfunctions for sure. But we do see a lot of issues with that. I was in a red dot instructor class this April with about a dozen other very highly trained firearms instructors from this area. Some of the best cops I know, some of the best shooters I know that I've been, I've worked with a lot of these guys and we had a good group of dudes in this class. We had a wide range of guns from a stock Glock 17 all the way up to staccatos and, and red dots and, and about of high tech as you could get. And as we ran through some of these drills and started to speed up a little bit of what we were doing, I paid attention to see. I wanted to look at the targets and figure out if there was a real correlation. So this information is anecdotal a little bit, but it's also it's good information. It's good data. So we had a dozen guys. We went through some drills where we were shooting a little bit faster, you know, build drill type of drills. And when you would look at the targets... If you were just looking at the targets and trying to figure out who was shooting the best gun, you wouldn't be able to figure it out. Yeah. You wouldn't. 
The guns were not giving people the, the advantage that they thought it would give them. So you'd have somebody shooting a five or $600 Glock versus somebody shooting a $3,500 or $4,000 Staccato, all tricked out with triggers and red dots and everything. And you probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Now, if, if those shooters were doing marksmanship drills, or like doing bullseyes at 20 yards, you're going to might start to see a difference. But in self-defense type training scenarios, I just want to pass along the fact that spending an extra three grand on a gun is probably not going to get you where you want to be. And we see a lot of shooters coming out and they're highly disappointed. Like, man, what's going on? How come this isn't working out? Well, it's like, I don't know how much training have you done? Oh, I've been shooting about six months. Man, we need to slow. We need to <laughs> pump the brakes here and really slow down. This is going to take a while. You're going to have to do some dry fire and some other training and, and and marksmanship and a lot of other things to get you anywhere close. And this is and they're like, well, how long is this going to take? I'm like, I don't know, ten years. Like your lifetime. A big number. Get ready. Yeah. yeah. Get ready. This is going to take a long time. Now there there are some shooters that pick stuff up really quick, and they're just. Blessed by God, I guess, with the ability <laughs> to pull the trigger. Um, and we do see that every once in a while. But we really want people, encourage people, keep it simple, keep it reliable. You know, if you go to, you know, a little farm store and buy a $200 gun, some off-brand name, it's just it's going to let you down. Yep. And you're going to wish it had worked. It's not. Now you're starting all over again. And that's where talking to professionals and giving you some decent advice really comes into play and the hard part is like well who what professional do i go to do i go to cousin fred who's a cop down the street and or do i go to this range guy who's you know been in the military for for 20 years and i don't know what the answer to that <laughs> is really you have to think about this if you go to an instructor a professional to get some advice hopefully they spend some time focusing on you getting to know you a little bit about what you need. If that instructor or professional talks your leg off for an hour about all the things they did, I don't know how this yeah. is going to work out. Yeah. It might not. So that's that's one way you can kind of vet and test out the people you're going to get advice from. How much time are they spending on you yeah. and what's going on? And that's the ultimate goal from the instructor side is we want you to be successful. We want you to have a good time. We want you to continue on down the road. And have some positive reinforcement there, not just be a sounding board for me, the instructor, to tell you about everything I've ever done. Um, so when it comes to, you know, basic, you know, short list, if I was going to, if somebody came out to the range where I work and and said, hey, you know, Dave, what, I want to start shooting, what should I shoot? I got to find out, you know, what your experience level is, what your background, have you ever even shot a gun before? Can we jump ahead a few steps and kind of, you know, uh, get started a little bit faster if it's appropriate. We're going to start off with smaller calibers, but we're going to start off with some brand name guns, no doubt about it. This might be a Glock, Smith & Wesson, M&P, might be a SIG, might be Springfield, you know, might be things like that that we know that we've seen on the range work very well. We just did a concealed carry class the other day, a wide range of guns. When people show up and say they're going to shoot a Glock or a SIG – they're, they're probably going to shoot well. Their, their guns are probably going to work. Not that they can't break, but versus people that show up with the obvious problems, a sky, a high point, even some Rugers or Caltechs, you know, those, those type of guns, um, 
sometimes are just difficult for people to get used to. They're smaller, small, hard to hold on to. It's hard to learn the fundamentals on some of these subcompact guns. Yep. Learn the fundamentals on a on a full frame gun. That's where you start off and apply that to the rest of whatever platform you're going to be shooting. So we want people to start off and be successful. We want the gun to work. We want it to be reliable yep. and effective and those things. And then work your way up. It's like you know buying a car, and if you want to get a 68 Camaro one day and and do a frame-up restoration and, and tinker and build and all that, awesome. That's kind of the progression where we end up at someday with anything, whether it's guns or cars or, or whatever. Eventually, people want to customize and do those things, which I get all that. Yeah. Don't start there. Don't start off trying to get all Gucci gunned out. Um, you're going to kind of set yourself up for success because what we see is people in those classes, they buy the $4,000 gun, they come to a class, and it's not working because they added a bunch of stuff they shouldn't have. They don't know how to shoot in the first place. And you want to talk about students being embarrassed? Come to class with a $4,000 gun and don't shoot good. People, are, you know, with the Keltec that have been saying, <laughs> we've been getting a hard time, are out shooting you. Yeah. And it's not a good place to be. And then all of a sudden, those people shy away. So we want to keep it simple. Um, keep it reliable, robust, repeatable, those type of things. And start from there. Yeah, I think that one thing you touched on, and I've seen so many, and I hate them too. I I, I do not like subcompact guns. I have a couple of them. I don't like shooting them uh, because my hands are, they're not gigantic, but they're not small. And they just don't lend themselves to being able to get a grip on those. A smaller con a subcompact gun is way more snappy recoil. And it's just not a good place to start. And a lot of people, because they want to jump right into the concealed carry world, they're like, I'm just going to get this little tiny gun I can stick in my pocket and I can go to the supermarket and I don't have to worry about it. But it's not really setting them up for success. I, I would tend to say, get the largest gun that you can comfortably conceal carry on your body or about your person and start that there and then instead of buying a really high-end three three four thousand dollar gun buy training buy ammunition get repetition in because that's going to pay off in the long run way better than having a four thousand dollar gun yeah no doubt if you're starting off and you've got a gun that you can't get a good two-handed grip on you're going to be disappointed as you move down the road trying to figure this out. So yeah. start off with a larger frame gun. So then when it, we get somebody settled on a gun and what's going to work for them, then it's gear and a holster. And we also want all that stuff to be very simple yep. to start off with. You don't have to have some crazy battle belt, war belt. You show up and a lot of students show up and it looks like they just walked off a SEAL Team 6 or something <laughs> and they don't even know what they have. They've got, you know, they got this holster they spent $300 on. They got all these competition mag pouches. They got a med kit that's got $500 worth of first aid gear like they could save 30 people with. They've got knives and they've got, a, you know, gloves and, and, and drop pouches and all this stuff hanging off it's like man we're we're kind of way beyond yeah. what we need to do you to start three thousand dollars on this war belt I, and you could have you know, <laughs> i highly encourage people to get out and train first thing you're gonna need is a decent holster yeah no doubt absolutely. about absolutely um and just a holster for your regular belt on your jeans it doesn't have to be some cop or police or swat or military holster it doesn't have to be that 
just an outside the waistband holster, uh, some some type of Kydex or, or, or strong plastic or whatever holster that will securely hold your gun. So if you fall down or do cartwheels or whatever you do in training, the gun's not going to fall out. And it's easy to holster the gun without looking at it or manipulating the holster. Yep. We see a lot of people come out with a custom or a leather holster where it's just friction from the gun fitting in and people can't fit the gun in the holster and then they're sticking their fingers in the holster and then the barrel at their fingers and it's just this disaster of people trying to reholster the gun. Well, that's not any fun. And you're getting ready to shoot yourself in the stomach. It's it's a recipe for disaster. So get a, a solid, firm holster, Kydex, you know, Blackhawk. You know, there's a lot of brand names out there. Safari Land, Blackhawk. Um, there's a million of them out there, but yep. get a decent, just regular outside the waistband holster for your regular belt for your jeans. Start with that. It's very simple. You don't have to worry about anything else. And just start with putting magazines in, your, in the back pocket of your jeans. You don't have to have all these mag pouches and stuff for starting out because all that gear is primarily designed for people to do things really quickly. Like yep. how fast can I reload my gun? Well, that's not what we're starting out with. Right. And that might not be where we ever get to. Yeah. You know, the, the basic general principle of our training philosophy is we just want you to be really good at what you're doing. Yeah. I think that uh, the, the, the way that we want to approach training is to build this. And actually, I told you this at our concealed carry class. You mentioned something in the last episode about our pastor talking about up and to the right in our Christian walk. Mm-hmm. The gun training world is exactly the same way. You want to see those little improvements and you may plateau for a little bit and then you, you build on that and you build on that. And through that journey, eventually you become a very proficient shooter and a very, very well-trained and controlled shooter that, that can be effective in whatever circumstance that you put them in. And I think that those little stair steps and building the foundation first is the most important thing, because if you go out and you just buy a bunch of gear, you don't know how to use it, then what good is it going to do you do for you when you actually hit that moment where you need to actually use it and you haven't trained with it and you haven't built in those uh, repetitions of learning how to get to your equipment, how to use your equipment, what works best. I have changed my war belt probably five or six times because in a training um in a training exercise or something, I realized, oh, that doesn't actually, that really doesn't work the way that I thought it would. Let me move my med pack over here. Okay, I can reach it better. Let me move my gun holster up a little bit so I can get a better a better draw. I'm not reaching back behind myself. It's all of those little things that only come through actually doing repetition with your equipment. Yes. And the thing is, sometimes the right tool for the job does make your job easier when it comes to home construction or electronics or whatever. The right tools for the job do make things easier. But if we just hand you a $300 holster and a $300 belt and $500 worth of other gear and hand it to you, that doesn't doesn't mean all of a sudden you know how to use it. There's a learning curve here. And it takes time, just like you're saying, a repetition. So with your... You know, $30 Safari Land outside the waistband holster that you buy at Dick's Sporting Goods, you need to spend a lot of time on that before you move on to some more advanced holster or one that's a higher security level, one that's got these buttons and, and rotating hoods and all this other stuff. You've got to start off with the basic stuff. It's just like Karate Kid, right? You know, Daniel Wax wants on. to learn karate. 
and he wants to go beat up the guys in his neighborhood that are giving him a hard time, and he's ready and motivated. And Miyagi's like, paint this fence for 10 hours. And he doesn't understand that the motions that he's going through are laying the fundamentals for the stuff he's going to be doing later. And firearms training is the same way. You've got to go through the motions. Who wants to go to the range and spend eight hours drawing your gun out of your holster and putting it back in the holster? Nobody wants to because that's not exciting and fun. But at some point, you have to do that. You have to. Some of us, you know, in law enforcement and military, we have the benefit of we get paid. Hey, go to the range for eight hours yeah. and do these things. You're like, great, cool, I'll go do this. Civilians usually don't have that luxury of all that extra time because you got family and other, you know, you know, commitments and a lot of stuff going mm-hmm. on in your life. At some point, you've got to get that in. You've got to start with the basic reps. And so then you can start to add on other gear, other equipment that's going to make things a little more effective and efficient. But we can't we can't blaze past the fundamentals. Gear in this situation, different tools is not going to make things easier. It's not just magic. And we see that on the law enforcement firing range all the time. We get cops come out to shoot a handgun qualification and they've been cops for 15 years, but they're not very good at weapon handling because we've given them the gears. We've given them the tools you know, the very efficient, effective, robust, all the things we're talking about, mm-hmm. but they're not practicing and, and they're trying to just hope that it just works out. Yeah. yeah. And it's not going to, you got to put the time in, you got to put the time in, you know, be proud of the fact that you're starting off with a three or $400 gun and cheap gear and put the time in. I used to be proud of the fact that I was a kid, you know, when I was playing sports in high school or whatever, like I didn't have the $5,000 gear and equipment. Yeah. You know, I was I wanted to be the underdog. I wanted to show up with the janky stuff and be the guy that beat you with all your highfalutin stuff. Yeah, I was yep. so I could not wait. I was so proud if I could accomplish that. Like I wanted to prove that to people so much. So you know, be the guy that's just putting the time in. Yeah, and 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 let your your experience build first before you go jumping in. It's just part of the journey. You, you've got to do that, otherwise. Uh, it's just not going to be as effective for you at all. Yeah. And so we're talking about training. We're talking about, you know, one of the big things that's actually just recently, it's kind of a, a frustrating moment for me, but uh, ammunition prices had kind of come down and they were getting back to where they were kind of pre-pandemic. Uh, still a little bit higher, but I think that's just, you know, the lovely inflation we're dealing with. We see all of these ammunition prices started to dip down and then boom, War kicks off. We're sending uh, supplies over to other countries. And just a couple weeks ago, I know that Lake City, which is one of the biggest manufacturers, I think it's like 30% of the manufacturing of ammunition in the United States, basically said, oh, we're cutting off the civilian market for a while. Well, that's kind of, that kind of stinks. And then I think it was um, whoever owns Federal just sold to a Czechoslovakian company, the whole conglomerate sold to it. Now they're still going to have their manufacturing processes in the United States, but you know, you start looking at the political landscape of how they started trying to ban stuff that's imported and how they're going to play games with that. And uh, so that's a real concern for people. And we talk about repetition, but there are some other practical ways to train and to get repetition in without firing around. So let's talk about that for a little bit, kind of how, how we can approach, you know, dry fire and those kind of things in a, in a way to still get training in, even when there might be 
higher priced ammunition or even lack of ammunition out there. Right. So some of the first things that people think of usually is just, well, I'll, I'll shoot cheaper ammo. I'll go get a gun, I'll shoot 22, I'll get a Glock 44 or get whatever 22 caliber uh, semi-automatic handgun or revolver if, if you want to and just start practicing with that and that does have some good training value to it. Probably what has even more training value is just what we call dry practice or dry fire and not necessarily even just trigger control but just going through the motions of the of you know getting your gun presented to the target, getting the gun out of the holster, going through reholstering, going through handling your magazines, all the weapon handling skills. You can do that. We had a guy in a class the other day. It was a rifle class we did. He had an AK-47, never shot it live before, but he'd spent a lot of time just going through dry practice, going through magazine changes, going through malfunction drills. And he came out, he came up to do a drill we were doing. He he went to fire around, got a click, didn't fire. He immediately went into an immediate action drill, dropped the magazine, put a new one, chambered a new round, and fired. It looked like he had done it probably a thousand times. He said that was the first time I'd ever had to do a malfunction drill, live fire with this gun. I was like, wow, that's pretty good. He goes, yeah. I said, I've spent a lot of time in the mirror doing this. I'm like, well, that's why that went so well. Yep. Because it wasn't really, honestly, the first time he'd ever been through it. It was the first time live fire, but he had already done it a thousand times. So it's proof that that type of training is valuable and that it works and that it does help lay that foundation for you. It's, it's an integral part. It might be, I don't know what the percentage is of how much of your training is, yeah. is dry and how much is live fire on the range. I think, honestly, some people say 40 or 50 or 60% should be dry. I don't think most people are going to meet that standard, honestly. So, you know, you just need to pick you know, 30 minutes or an hour, once a month or whatever the time is and go through the motions. Here's the tricky part. You got to go through the motions the right way. Yes. It's got to be good practice. It can't be something you just made up on your own. It's got to be, you know, in our classes, the way we instruct is we want to give people the fundamentals, the right ones, and you know how to do things correctly so that you can go home and you can practice. We just want to get you set on the tracks and push you in the right direction. Yep. And then you can power yourself as, as much or as little as you want to. And we hear a lot of people say, I was a, I was a self-taught shooter. And what that it doesn't really mean that they taught themselves to shoot. It means that somebody, somewhere, an instructor, YouTube, whatever, somebody showed them the right <clears throat> way to do things. And then they just went out and practiced that on their own for hours and hours and hours. And they, they it's not really self-taught. It's like self-practice, self-trained, whatever. I think there's different wording that fits better there, but it's critical. You know, so get in front of a mirror in your house and practice drawing your gun at yourself in front of a mirror. Mm-hmm. You can actually see what you're doing. Get a video camera, set your iPhone up on a tripod or set it on a table and video record yourself drawing your gun and look at it. And you'll probably look at it and be like, wow, I look dumb. <laughs> this is not working out. So yep. you're like, this does not look like my instructor was doing it or how so-and-so was doing it. We do a lot of video review in our classes yep. and it's absolutely, it's, you know, mind blowing for some people. Like I never knew I was doing that or I look like that or what I should be doing. And it's not just the video of the shooting aspect. It's video of all the mechanics 
And so the video review is, is critical. We do a lot of that in our yep. classes. It's very important. If you're an instructor out there and you're doing classes and you're not using video of some sort to record your students and then show it to them and then review what they should not be doing, tell them what they should be doing, you've got to add that to your training yep. right now. Yep. It's critical. It should be a part of everybody's training out there. And if you're not, you need to jump on that. Yeah, and I think that the, the, generally I, I, I watch a couple of guys on YouTube, and the other day I, I watched, saw this reel pop up, and and um, the guy says, if it doesn't look cool, you're probably tactically wrong. Because typically if you're tactically sound, it kind of looks cool. So if you look dumb in the mirror, right. you probably <laughs> you probably are look, not doing yeah, it Yeah, right. I've heard that. Maybe it'll look, I don't know if look cool is right, but <clears> it should look Normal. I think people yep. have, an, have a, a natural tendency to understand what good shooters look like. Yeah. And when you look at yourself on video, it should look like you know what you're doing. And if it looks a little weird or off or, you know, then maybe you're like, yeah, maybe I need to work yeah. on this. I think maybe you, you could probably say something like if it looks confident, if it looks like you're meaning to do what you're going to do. If you're if you're kind of fumbling with your gun bent over half, not not paying attention to your target and all that stuff. Yeah, that's probably you probably need to work on some of that. But if you look like you mean what you're what you're doing and <laughs> and you're actually getting the gun where it needs to go and all that stuff, yeah, yeah you look tactical, we'll say. Yeah. You know? So definitely so, our suggestion as far yeah. as training goes is you know, if, if all you have, if the only time you have is to <clears throat> to watch YouTube, I don't know. I don't know if I want to sit here and give a list of people I would suggest to watch. Righteous Savages. Um, righteous Savages number one for yep. sure. There is so here's what you've got going on. You've got competition shooters, and then you've got law enforcement military shooters, and there is kind of a mix of those worlds um, more today than than ever. And I think both of those groups have learned from each other, no doubt about it. Both of those groups have very specific purposes. Their missions are different. So you can't just say, well, competition shooters are better than cops or military. It just depends on what you're about to go do, no doubt about it. Um, the competition guys have really got gear figured out real well. They've got training and practice and hours of that repetition figured out very well. And, you know, military cops um, have got, I would say, maybe mindset figured out a little bit better because one's life and death, one's just for fun. And so you got to understand what you're doing and what your purpose is there. And it's definitely, definitely different. So when you're out there looking for instructors and all you have for time is the Internet, um, look for, you know, anybody that's got, you know, world champion behind their name is probably pretty good um, as far as on the competition side of things. Rob Latham is a guy that um, I've met and talked to a few times and, I think as far as the competition guys, he's got a really good mindset and attitude, and his training is very simple and very straightforward, and he kind of gets through all the, the BS out there and that you kind of see in the, in the training world these days, and he's a good dude to kind of watch videos on for sure. 
Yeah, I think um, that fusion of competition and military, you've you get a lot a wealth of knowledge. I think there's, there's a lot of guys out there. Um, I'm going to do a shameless plug here because we got some things coming up that are going to be in this wheelhouse. We are in the process. We're starting the process of recording some things that are going to be available on our Patreon. That's going to launch here before too long. So we're going to be doing some of this stuff that's going to be available uh, to people. We're also going to post some of that stuff for free on the internet for sure. Um, we've already started doing some of that stuff, uh, both on our page and we also have the tombstone page on, on YouTube. So you can follow both of those as, as good tools for, for things that, that we do. And, um, we're going to be doing more and more of that as we go. So we would love for everybody to kind of follow us and check out what we do. Not that we have all the answers, but I think that we do have a a good broad wealth of knowledge in the shooting world that can help people. And like we said, here's the deal. A lot of people just don't have a lot of time. They're at work. Maybe they find an hour at work to get on the whole internet and check out some shooting videos. Maybe they have a little bit of time at home in the evening and they're trying to figure this out. They don't have all the time in the world to get to a class somewhere. And we are going to offer that information to you guys through video and mm-hmm. give you some video instruction on a lot of things involved in the shooting world. So we are going to give you good, valuable stuff based on all of our years of experience. We'll talk to you a little bit more about where we came from and and what our experience is. And it's important to know, like, who taught us? Like, where do we come up with this information? Is this just shooting according to Dave and John? Or <laughs> what is our pedigree? What is our background? Where do we come from? And so we're going to give you all that information there and let you use us as a resource for that information and we're gonna it's gonna be good fun information gonna be entertaining and we want everybody to have a good time we want you to learn correctly we want you to learn the fundamentals be responsible gun owners and it's going to be a good valuable resource for everybody yeah and if you're in the midwest too that's another thing uh, that I'll, I'll do another shameless plug. Um, we have a gun range that we train at. Dave is the owner of the gun range, and we are um, we're doing classes all the time. We have several classes coming up, and you can hit that that website if you're in the Midwest. We live in the southern tip of Illinois, and basically within an hour of like four states. And uh, so you can get to our location fairly easily, fairly quickly. Our classes are, are very reasonably priced, but you get a lot of bang for your buck with them. And uh, come out and do some training with us. We'd love to help you figure out the start of this journey, or if you're a little bit on the, on the way of the journey and you don't know what the next step is, we'd love to help you out with that. Um, we, we pride ourselves on, on always being innovative and learning new things. We learn new things all the time. And if we think it's a valuable thing, we infuse it into our training for sure. For sure. And I would say on the military side of, of the YouTube and internet training, I would probably suggest Fieldcraft survival and Mike Glover is the owner. I will say that I do work for them from time to time. (laughs) So, but as far as you know, as a long as a twenty nine year law enforcement veteran, sometimes we see guys in the military that their training does not really fit the law enforcement world very well. And from seeing Mike's side of things and how he trains and kind of his philosophy, it fits real well into the law enforcement world as well. So um, I would definitely check out a lot of Mike Glover or Fieldcraft Survival. 
YouTube videos, training. It's really good stuff. I would highly recommend that to anybody out there getting started to give you a good foundation for kind of the philosophy and tactics and techniques that we talk about in our training as well. So real quick, a couple questions here. Let's, let's hit a couple of um, tiers as far as like if you had this amount of money, what would be prioritized? We're going to go through a couple of them. Sure. So let's start off at like you got $500. Mm-hmm. What, are, what, are, what prioritization do people need to put into $500 to get into shooting? I know that's a low. 500 bucks <laughs> probably would not quite get you to the type of gun that I would recommend right at first. It's close. 600 bucks. It's pro- 600 bucks will probably buy you just about any full size Glock out there at Smith and Weston MP, Springfield. You're kind of talking that $600 neighborhood for a pretty decent gun to start off with yep. just right out of the box so think i would start with let's just call 600 dollars tier john yeah okay 600 bucks will probably get you started with a gun pretty and be in pretty good shape there and then beyond that it's obviously buying some ammo starting to stockpile and what you'll see right now as of the taping of this video mm-hmm. ammo prices thanks to lake city some other things you know the war in israel everything's kind of shaking up a little bit prices are going up a little bit and every time this happens, we're like, you know, three months ago would have been a really good time to just spend 500 bucks on some ammo or whatever. We see this cycle. It goes up and down with world crisis, with COVID was the last time, 2020, <clears throat> 2021. You couldn't find a 22 round anywhere. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. And then it got back down to, you know, five, six months ago, ammo's everywhere and nobody's really buying it. And maybe we should have been buying, you know, everybody should have been buying more. We I know that. I kick myself every day. <laughs> yeah. So uh, start looking at it. You don't have to buy a case of ammo. Buy two boxes of nine millimeter ammo the next time you go to whatever store you're at. Yeah. Do that. It's just like saving money. Just get a little bit of, of a time as you go. And then buy you just a little bit of gear, just a decent. You could just buy a really good leather belt from like 5'11 or somewhere mm-hmm. for 50 bucks, and then get you some type of holster. The cool thing with the brand name guns, Glock, Springfield, Smith & Wesson, SIG, <laughs> you can find gear and accessories for that stuff all over the place. It is endless. You start buying, you know, the Canics and the... You know, and the whatever is out there, even staccatos, even some other things, it becomes difficult to find the accessories, the everyday stuff that you might need for that. Mm-hmm. Just iron sights. Well, good luck with some of those guns. You might not find them. A holster, a holster that will fit a gun with a light for those off brand, yep. even, even the Walthers and, and stuff like that, the guns that seem pretty popular that we see a lot. People have a very hard time buying accessories for those things. So you've got to keep that in mind. But start off your gun, some ammo, a decent belt, a decent holster. That's really the, the probably the top four things I would go for yep. and to start off. So you're probably really honestly for all of that thinking about, you know, $1,000. Yep. And so maybe it takes you three or four months to accumulate that or you get your income tax return back <laughs> or your next covid check or whatever who knows what yeah and just get started do not do not save up your three grand and then go dump three grand on some gucci gun that nobody you haven't even learned how to shoot a gun yet yeah just get started with the basics don't go buy a red dot sight right off the bat start off with iron sights 
please. And I've had some people say, well, why not just start with red? I mean, just if that's what everybody's going to, just get a red dot and be a new student and just learn that process so it's not hard later on. And I would just advise people that I just think that's backwards. A red dot is it's an extremely dynamic tool. It's not complicated. It's just a red dot in your vision, but it's it's complex. The, the system for using that and how your brain and your eyes and your body and all that works is complex. Lining up iron sights is not. And so we want you thinking not that you can't learn how to use a red dot earlier in your shooting career, but doing that adds, it's like taking up a bunch of memory in the hard drive of your brain to work that system. With iron sights, it doesn't take a lot. It's very simple to compute. And so if there's less anxiety and you're using less brain power for the aiming process, you can actually listen to what the instructor is telling you. You can remember to focus on the fundamentals. Your learning process will go quicker, I believe, shooting with iron sights as opposed to starting off with red dots. So that's my take on it. I don't know. Some I've heard some people say, man, just, just start with a red dot and go from there and things will be a lot better. But to me, I'm kind of old school. I, I just like the progression of starting off simple, basic, the way things have always been. And I've got red dots on guns. I'm not anti-red dot by any means. But and, and also think of most of the students and shooters out there. If you've been in the military for 15 years on some special team overseas and you decide you want to start using a red dot for the first time, you might pick this up a lot quicker than somebody that has just started learning to shoot. And so anytime things get complicated and we start giving students a lot of things to think about and focus on, it's just, I promise you, it's brain meltdown for a lot of people. And then it's a struggle and then it's like frustrating and we don't want struggle and frustrating to happen with new shooters right. we just don't and one out of 100 might pick it up great and just like the best thing ever but don't start off with that high-tech stuff i wouldn't even, don't get a light for your gun don't get a red dot don't buy fiber optic sights if you bought a glock with a janky plastic sights on it start with that start with those that's cool yep. we can work through this like I said, I, li- I wanted to be the guy that had the janky equipment. Like, all right, if you think red dot's the way to go, then I'm going to work these iron sights better than you've ever seen, and I'm going to smoke you out here on the range. Yeah. That was my attitude. I want to learn. If it's harder to shoot with iron sights, teach me to, to do that because I want to get really good at that and show you, you know, that I'm better than you. I was like, I always wanted to be the person with the inferior gear that could – go up against other people for whatever reason. I just felt like um, so many people thought they could buy the magic thing, the magic tool, and and just be better. And I didn't want to be that guy. So learn the systems. Learn the iron sights first, my suggestion, and then move on to red dot at some point. And that might be three years after you start. Nope. Might Maybe it might be three months, but... Uh, don't get too crazy. And, and all I'm saying is we see students that come to our classes in our range, they'll buy some gun and put a, a high flute red dot on it. And we spend all day long just now we're like, okay, we're going to try and teach you how to find this red dot. 
even though they can't pull the trigger very good, they can't work their gun very good, they can't <clears throat> manipulate magazines very well, they can't draw their gun very well, we need to be focusing on those things. But now we're spending all day long talking about how to find the red dot on their gun because they can't even see what they're shooting at. Yeah. So it can just cause some issues for newer shooters. Just start simple. Yeah, and I think that one thing that we talked about with dry fire, that also can apply to because a lot of the times that we see those students come out, they haven't practiced with the red dot at home. You can do that. You can practice your presentation with a red dot at home a thousand times, two thousand times. Um, and I think if you're not if you're not doing that, then it's going to be detrimental if you do finally make that transition to a red dot, not practicing with it, learning how to get that red dot up into your vision and actually present the gun the right way. I think it's it's something that, that causes problems. And learning how to just use iron sights, tried and true, it's been around for hundreds of years, you know, since firearms were invented, we had iron sights. And they're never really gonna they're never really gonna go away, I don't think, because the other thing to think about with red dots is they have batteries. <laughs> One of these days those batteries are gonna run out. And they're going to always run out at the most inopportune time. I was listening to a podcast with Ken Hackathorn <clears throat> a few weeks ago. Uh, he's been in the shooting world for a long time. And he's like, you know, we see all these trends. I think it was on the Wilson Combat Channel or something. Mm-hmm. He's like, we've got all these different sights. You know, lasers were the big thing. For, he goes, remember everybody had lasers on their mm-hmm. guns? So you might have lasers on their gun nowadays. On your rifle, maybe. But nobody's running a laser on a handgun said so he's like i've got red dots you know i shoot them but we'll see what happens you know red dots have kind of you know we're talking about having them around a good decade now uh so they're kind of you know passing the test of time a little bit but all it takes is the next thing the next gadget the next sighting system from my who knows it might be a hologram or something that gets project who knows what the next thing will be there will be a next thing and all of a sudden, everybody will be ripping red dots off their guns. So uh, just just never think that what you have is the greatest thing and it's always going to be around forever. Uh, try to have the perspective of, yeah, this is a, a tool that I put on my gun. It's, you know, I'm going to see if I can make it work. I want to be good at it yep. and go from there. I don't, I don't think I want to put an AI sight on my gun. I just don't <laughs> trust it enough yet. Just close your eyes. <laughs> you know, it's going to, you know, go to your Neuralink in yeah. your brain and tell you where to point the gun. Oh, that's creepy stuff. Creepy yeah, stuff. Sure. Um, let's talk real quick about stockpiling ammo. I know we talked a little bit about it in, in conversation earlier. I think stockpiling ammo is something that people always think about, you know, and myself, uh, full disclosure, I tend to lean towards the prepper mindset and a little bit. I'm not that hardcore dude that bought a, you know, 1968 missile silo and is planning on housing 300 people for the end of the world. But I do, I do believe in preparedness and, you know, 2020 kind of got me back into that and a little bit. I learned how to can, I learned how to garden kind of, I knew how to garden from before, but I kind of like greased those wheels again and started learning and, and uh, just kind of trying to be as self-sufficient as possible. So part of that is I think we're, looking at ammo shortages possibly increasing prices how do you build a stockpile in those in the in those kinds of situations i think what you said one way what you said earlier was when you go to rural king or you go to wherever academy sports or dick sporting goods get a couple boxes it's not as big of a deal as 
dropping five hundred dollars on a thousand rounds of this or or a thousand dollars on two thousand rounds or or whatever mm-hmm. it's it's a little bit easier to do that as you go I think generally for me and you may have a different different approach but for me I always want to kind of get a baseline so my baseline is like a thousand rounds for each caliber it actually may be a little bit more than that now but that's where I started was a thousand rounds I want to build up a thousand rounds then Every time I go shoot, I want to re- refill whatever I've shot, and then I just maintain that. It's kind of like with a bank account. Sometimes you take a thousand dollars off the, you know, that used to be kind of the old balancing thing. You put a thousand dollars in it, and then you zero it out, and that's your baseline. You, right. It's there, but it's like your emergency. Right. So, so the thousand rounds means you have zero ammo. Yes. You're never mm-hmm. going to touch that. That's yeah. always going to be there for the zombie apocalypse that's, yeah. that's going to happen, you know, the, the worst-case scenario. And I think that's a pretty good – if you decide to have 20,000 rounds of 9 mil ammo, good luck taking that somewhere with you. Like, okay, when the when the air raid sirens go off and you're like, crap, we got to leave and get to the country or whatever your bug-out plan mm-hmm. is, how are you going to load like how are you going to move that maybe you have a trailer set up that's geared with all your stuff i don't know but for most people you're not going to be able to move around just tons and tons of ammo most people but some people might say i'm never leaving like this is where i'm bugging out to is this place so i've got all the ammo in the world to me i'm it's crazy to think that there's a situation out there where you might need for your own survival 30,000 rounds of AK ammo. If, mm. if you need that to survive, I don't know if I want to survive this thing or not. Heaven sounds a lot better than that. <laughs> this is a bad thing is about to go down. Like, mm. so I think being prepared, have enough ammo um, is going to help us in the times when things are kind of bad. Like, yeah, eh, this, you know, and, and who knows what that level of, of kind of bad is. Yeah. And worst case scenario where the world is crazy and it's civil war and, and people are take, trying to take over the country and whatever you imagine is worst case, then I, I you know, it's, it's going to be tough to figure out what would be enough. You know, in that case, nothing would be enough. Right. You would never have enough yep. of everything to make it through a year or two or five of, of the worst case scenario necessarily. So be reasonable about it. Be smart about it. You know, you know, if you, if you're running around with a hundred bucks in your pocket and you can take 20 and throw it in a jar and like, that's my ammo money. And then every three months, take your ammo money and go buy, you know, your 300 rounds or whatever. And yep. stick that in the, in the corner. Um, if you go to the store and like, oh, it'd be great. They've got this sale of, for a thousand rounds of, of five, five, six for 400 bucks or whatever. Well, you might not have 400 bucks right then in yeah. your budget. Like, I, I got rent coming up. I can't. I wish I could. So save up for that. Save a few bucks every month. Yep. And then pick a time. Like, okay, every three months. Then I'm going to go take this money that I've saved up and go buy ammo if yeah. you can. If it's tough, things are tight for you, whatever. Uh, so generally, that's why I kind of advise people. Don't go too crazy. Don't be thinking, you know, you somehow have to have 10,000 rounds of 9 mil or whatever. But try and get, you know, a thousand or two because you might end up going to some training where they say you need six hundred rounds of ammo. Well, there we go, man. We just dropped our our stockpile down to took a quite a big hit. So buy that stuff early and often when it's cheap and be reasonable about it. Yeah. I know we've went through some ammo and some of our uh just setting up training stuff, we've gone through some rounds on that. So that's always a possibility. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so 
back to the tiers, like the first tier, like 600 bucks, a thousand bucks, what do you get? Part of that money should be training with a professional firearms yeah. instructor. It doesn't even have to be a class. Usually the classes are more expensive. So if you wanted to get into, you know, some famous YouTube celebrity firearms class, it might be three, four hundred, five hundred bucks for a class. And then you're in the class with 20 other people. And there's one instructor that you really want to learn from. And in that five hour class, that one instructor comes and talks to you like maybe two times. And so who knows if if you get necessarily what you thought you were going to get out of that class the cool thing about classes is you're with a lot of people like-minded folks it's fun it's more of a a good time it's more of entertainment value it's more of that if you're really wanting to develop yourself more find an instructor and do a one-on-one lesson or instruction Mm -hmm. and usually that costs a lot less you get a lot more out of it. It's personalized to you, your gun. Nobody else is there. So find a, a pro instructor somewhere at a range nearby, like Tombstone Gun Range in mm, Marion, Illinois. Shameless plug. Yes, and come out and get a lesson and, and get all the juicy details of what you really need to know, the advice about gear and, and equipment and what to do on your next training. You know, When it comes to training, what I tell people is this is not like – piano lessons like if you decide we've sat here and told you how learning to shoot is a long journey and it is but it's more of a long journey of self-evaluation and personal development but like piano lessons or horseback riding lessons it seems like when you signed up for that you're in it for a long time my kids have taken piano lessons this is like three or four or five years or more that people are in this so you don't necessarily need that with firearms training what you need is for somebody to tell you the right way to do things. Like, here's how to do this. Here's what it looks like the correct way. You figure that out, write it down, take some video, whatever, and boom, you're off the races. And you can come, You can, a lot of people, we see people come to a lot of our training classes over and over because they like who we are. They like the group of people that show up to training. It's more of an event. It's a social thing. And that's cool. We love that. We love developing the community of like-minded people, people that love the shooting sports. And that's just a good time. We do the tactical weekend at Tombstone a couple times a year. Come out, shoot, hang out, cook food, sit around the campfire, tell war stories, talk about our families. And that's building a community. And on a side note, if you're talking about prepping and getting ready for the worst case scenario it's not you know having a community of people you can rely on is a hundred times more mm-hmm. important than having twenty thousand rounds of ammo stuck in Absolutely. a corner somewhere because you need people that can help you out and can provide things for you that you don't have and so that's where that community is, is very important yeah i think so i think that building the community is probably the most important in survival and anybody that that knows what they're talking about in that in that realm is going to tell you the same thing that having a community because there's people out there that know how to take down any kind of any kind of prep that you could set up or, or anything. If they really want your stuff, they're going to come and get it. But having a community, it's harder to take from many than it is to take from one. So, yep. yeah, that's that's really important. I think um, we'll close out with uh, just kind of talking. We always want to tie this back to our beliefs and our our um, our faith and kind of how we approach. Um, this this idea of training to defend ourselves and how we fuse that with our faith and how we believe that um, both are important in being a well-rounded um, uh, 
person in 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 this world that's kind of kind of going crazy right now. Yeah. So I guess we can take a a step back and kind of take a big, you know, thirty thousand foot view of kind of what we believe and why we're we're doing this and when when it relates to the basic stuff of our our, dro- our jobs, our training. Uh, the firearms training we do at the range and kind of our mindset and philosophy behind what we do. So as a Christian, I believe that one of our primary responsibilities is to treat people the way we want to be treated. Mm -hmm. And we call it the golden rule. Like how should we treat people and why do we do that? Why do we, why are we nice to people? Why do we care about people? Why do we help take care of each other? Because that's what Jesus would do. And it sounds real simple. Sometimes it sounds corny. Like, like I said before in one of our episodes, I grew up. I didn't grow up in church, and anything that had to do with Jesus or you know any type of or I just I felt like it was like churchy. Like even the word Jesus to me was like just a churchy thing to say. But in reality, we believe that Christianity is real. Jesus is the only way. Mm-hmm. Is the only true God. The only way to heaven. And so on a day to day basis. The way that affects me is like, well, what are we here for? What are we on this planet for? Is it just just random that we're here with no purpose? Or is our purpose something? Now, everybody has their own gifts in life. Like, what were you gifted to do? Some people are gifted to be teachers. Some people, you know, to be pastors. Some people to do other things, to, you know, serve others. And so you figure out what your gift is. And I think for me personally, my gift is being able to connect to people and teach them things mm-hmm. and specifically in my aspect it's teaching them how to be effective and efficient and safe and defending themselves with firearms and being and caring about people we have when we started the range when we started tombstone gun range in 2013 there was really nothing like it around there wasn't a range that had an office that was open where people could come out and interact with with you know the people running the range and i'd visited a lot of other gun shops and ranges across all over the united states in my law enforcement career and most of the time you'd walk into a gun shop or a range where there's a couple old guys sitting in the corner and they probably wouldn't even look at you or they would look at you like what are you doing here and it's like this attitude of wasn't really hate but it was like it was definitely they didn't care yeah didn't care and we operate under the system of like we actually care about you as a person and hopefully we can get you into our our group you know of like-minded people and then we want to you know make sure that you're okay as a person we want to treat you like you want to be treated and care about what you care about as a person when you come into the, to the office or we just meet you it's like, hey, how's it going? Have a conversation. And it's about you. It's not just about listening to me talk about who I am. It's about you. Um, is somebody, you know, meeting your needs? Is somebody, you know, answering questions that you got? Is somebody nice to you? We have so many people that come out to our place who just come in. I was at the range this morning. A couple people come in, just sit down at the table, and they're there to hang out because yep. they just want to hang out and talk about stuff. There's not a whole lot of places like that you can go. And so as a Christian, I'm always trying to focus on treating people with respect and the way they want to be treated and like a friend. And hopefully people will see that and wonder, why is he treating me this way? Why is this happening? Why is this person nice to me? Why do they care about me? Why are they helping me out? And the reason is, is because Jesus has basically saved us, forgiven us, given us grace 
And if I've received that gift from him, how come I can't give that to other Absolutely. people? Absolutely. And so that's our whole purpose is to treat people that way and hopefully guide them to our faith because of who we are. And people see that. They see the light in us, and we guide them towards Christianity. Yeah. I think that um, one of the things that our slogan here is act like you believe. And that's based off of a, a verse in James where it talks about they'll know you by who you by how you act, by who you are. And um, I think that in every aspect of our life, we, as Christians, a lot of times we get this rep that we're, you know, we're just Christians on Sunday morning. And I think that that's the polar opposite of what I want to be in my approach. I want to carry my worldview of Christ, of Christ and Christianity to every part of my life, everywhere I go, whether it's, you know, at the gas station or at my job or at, um, the basketball, you know, the basketball game or at the, um, at the, in the polling booth. And we'll get into that even more mm-hmm. as we, as we go along of like that we need to be engaged in all of these aspects, but we need to actually always look through the lens of what our worldview is through Christ. And I think that that's the most important part of like, they're going to, they're going to know us. They're going to know who we are because of what we carry with us. And, Having that, I think, is the biggest testimony we can have as Christians to, to make people wonder, oh, what's different? Like you said earlier, what's different about this guy? Why is this guy treating me this way? Why is this person being kind to me? They don't even know me. But I think mm-hmm. that that is the most important thing. I actually had a great opportunity to, today to help a lady jump her car. She was sitting there trying to figure out. I had just gotten some documents printed at the print shop and was coming out to see that she needed and just got a chance to jump her car. And I got a chance to say, hey, have a blessed day. You know, Jesus loves you. I said that. Just a small thing. And it sounds kind of Christian and churchy, but you don't know that impact that could have had on her in her in her life. So that those are the little things, the little opportunities that we have to rub up against people in in everyday life and say, you know, hey, I'm a follower of Christ, and I proudly wear that banner. Yeah, and life is too short. Well, I'm starting to realize my age. <laughs> I'm retired now. You know, the clock is ticking. I, you know, I understand that you only have so many days on this planet. Mm-hmm. And what are you going to do? Like, what are you going to do with that time? It's, life is too short to not stand up for what you believe is right. If mm-hmm. you are a Christian and you believe a certain way, I don't think we're meant to keep that to ourselves, no. that we're supposed to, to grow that. We're supposed to invest that in ourselves and other people and grow the kingdom of God. And it doesn't mean I, when we sit here and we say these things, I do not want people to think that we're saying we're perfect. We've got it all figured out. We're better than anybody. Please do not think that. We are just like every other human on the planet. We're flawed just like everybody else, and we need God. And we need them every single day. Just because we're like, hey, you're having a good day and and we believe this way, it doesn't mean it's it's perfect and we have it all figured out. And the cool thing is that while we're in a group together like this with righteous savages and people that want to join in with who we are, then we can help support each other. Yep. And we can help each other get through hard times and, and, and adversity and temptation and all those things that, you know, everybody deals with on a daily basis and and that's what we want to really uh stress to people is 
we need each other. Mm-hmm. And this is not easy. And there's a lot of things we're all going through right now. And that's hopefully we're going to try and build this community so that we can reach out to each other and help each other on a daily basis get through life and get through our faith and get through everything that's tough out there yep. for us. So please don't think that we're trying to tell you we're better than anybody. We're not. But we do believe that Jesus is the king of the universe and we are here for a reason. Your life is not random. It's not just by accident. We're here. We're here for a purpose, and God's got a plan, and we don't necessarily know what it is, but we know that there's a plan in place, and we want to encourage people to follow Jesus and have him direct your life as much as possible. Yeah. And the result is it's not always perfect. It doesn't mean you become a Christian and your life is better. But, man, to think about what is real out there as far as like what's out there in the universe what's the purpose of my life if it's nothing if it's just blank randomness that's going to be a pretty ultimately i don't want to be mean about it but what like what kind of future is that to look forward to it's kind of the bland side of thing versus the future of eternity in heaven i mean come on what's the what's the argument here what do we and and what's in in worst case scenario I don't believe this way, but what if I became a Christian and it turned out that that wasn't true? What have I lost in my life? Has my life, did I waste my life? Did things get worse for me? No, things probably were a lot better for me anyway. Nope. So I've got nothing to lose, nothing to lose. And when you live your life like you've got nothing to lose, all of a sudden your performance and your attitude and everything just exponentially gets better yeah uh, I'd just like to point out that I am perfect just ask my wife <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you're not wearing the shirt or something yeah, right. you know yeah no that's that's, that's uh, farthest from the Let truth see yeah. what's her phone number yeah 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 let's get, get her on speakerphone let's and we'll get her see, on see how, the show right now yeah how much she how, how perfect she thinks I am she is gonna watch this yeah yes. well, the next episode is just gonna be me <laughs> yeah John's gonna be recovering uh, yeah yeah I might have a few black eyes and a broken down. arm I'd be down for sure good luck <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, no, it's um, no, that's that's all great stuff, and we're going to continue on uh, talking and diving deeper into some of these issues of going out into the world and carrying your worldview, a Christian worldview, out into the masses. So, but I think we're out of time today, and uh, I'd just like to thank everybody once again for stopping by and checking out our episode three of the righteous savages podcast continue to get the word out continue to like and follow us um hit up our website i actually talked to our printer uh last friday and it looks like our shirts are going to be in very soon so you might see us wearing those the next time we record um they're pretty cool and hopefully you guys are interested in those we'll have them up on our website uh for online purchase and uh you can also hit us up anybody that knows us personally and we'll get you get you hooked up with one um and the bracelets will also be online for you to just kind of wear and uh just just I call them wristbands. Wristbands. Bracelet yes. sounds a little. Yeah, it sounds a little girly. Doesn't, doesn't sound it? very savage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wristbands. <Sure>. So <laughs> we have those available uh, for anybody that is is interested in just kind of wearing that and just letting that be a message that I've you seen can send them out. out. And about I have people. Yep. yep. I appreciate you guys that have gotten hold of them so far and uh, representing. It's cool, yep. man. We appreciate it. Yep. So. Um, 
We'll see you guys next time. And don't forget, as you're going through life, act like you believe. And always remember that Jesus wants us to carry him everywhere we go.